You are now tuned into Flow House Hoops, featuring Adam Hausen and Miguel Flores. Welcome into episode number six. We've done six of these. It's kind of hard to imagine. Episode six of the Flow House Hoops podcast. I'm your host, Adam Hausen, joined by my partner, Miguel Flores. Uh, follow me on Twitter at NBA House. Follow Miguel at the underscore M Flores. Um, so pretty much we're not playing basketball still. Um, and we'll get to more of that in a second. Uh, we got a pretty juicy show for you guys today, though. We're going to talk uh, some updates on the, the shutdown. We're going to talk some Bulls, Hall of Fame class of 2020. Uh, we got a little bit of all-decade team for you guys, too. That should be fun towards the end of the show. Um, but Miguel, um, it's good to, good to hear from you again, man. Uh, I guess there's really no answer right now, huh? No, man. Like, it's... Again, this is not surprising. This is what we've kind of seen. We've seen a kind of a slight updates. I mean, you you heard MLB come out with uh, possibly maybe trying to start June 1, which if MLB is able to start June 1st in an isolated location, which they're looking at, I think, Arizona to just host as like an isolation field, there would be no home or away games. It'd just be a start the season and get teams going there. If they're able to do that, then I think that would be a big jumping off point for the NBA. Uh, if MLB is able to get going and then NBA could hopefully follow suit. And again, I know there are bigger issues in the world right now. I am not downplaying what people are going through at all. I mean, it is, it's what this pandemic has done to so many people, including myself, including you, Adam, you know, as far as job wise and things, how it's just changed everyone's way of life. Uh, it's really ruined a lot, but I do agree in the sense of with these commissioners and, and even with the, with the president, uh, as little as I do agree with them in some aspects, and I don't want to make it any, get into politics at all. Cause this is not what this show is about, but I do agree that we do need sports. Uh, you know, people need something to be hopeful about. People need something to look forward to. And the faster that these leagues and, and, can figure a way to get their whether MLB their regular season going, the NBA get the playoffs going, the better I think it will be for everyone, just in a psychological point of view. What, what would say you, Adam? Yeah, and I think that keyword you hit on there is hope. And there were some conversations between commissioners um, and executives of these professional sports leagues and Trump over the weekend. And one of the big takeaways was that. Uh, you know, Trump would really like to see in, in these commissioners and these leagues would kind of like to lead the charge in, in rebuilding and restarting the economy. Uh, you know, sports brings people together. And what better way than to, you know, see an end of the light at the end of the tunnel than to have the NBA and, and the MLB uh, kind of kick things back off um, for all of us. Uh, so I guess pretty much silver what he said. Um, NBA Together, this new little social show that Ernie Johnson started. He had Adam Silver on as his first guest. And Silver basically said that uh, at the minimum, May 1st is when they would even speak or give a projected timeline of what may happen. Um, but he sounded pretty hopeful about at least being able to crown a champion this season. He did discuss a little bit the ideas of the 16, potentially the 16 playoff teams going to Las Vegas or Hawaii or one specific location uh, and creating kind of a bubble and having those players and officials and executives, operations members kind of stay at a, a specific hotel. Uh, there's been some talk about rapid testing options being available by then and uh, being able to kind of kickstart and get everything back going that way. But 
again, I guess the what I'm trying to say here is that there's still no answer, and and we no. don't know we don't know when games are going to come back. No, and Adam Silver again. This is I mean, this just shows you how crazy this pandemic has been because Adam Silver, Adam, you and I both have been in favor of Adam Silver and the way he's kind of handled uh, himself at, since he's been put in the commissioner role. He's handled it beautifully. He's uh, He's been really a very positive influence. There really is hardly a lot. You look across all the sports leagues and Adam Silver is definitely probably the more favorable commissioner in all of the four major sports leagues out of all of them. And even he doesn't have an answer. And he's someone that's very straight up with uh, his fans and, and just business partners and sponsorships. He's very straight up. And the fact that he doesn't answer, I believe him that he actually does not have an answer. It's hard to kind of gauge when this pandemic is going to taper off even a little bit for them to kind of uh, explore these type of options and, Again, you heard him in the interview. He still has no idea. He they've kind of stopped at as far as looking at specific opportunities because they can't really look at these specific opportunities without even knowing a lot of these questions that are. There's being so many what there. ifs, right? There's just yeah. so many what if possibilities that may arise if you start playing in, in, in a team's best player, as we talked about in the past. A team's best player might test positive. What does that guy just not get to play? Do you shut the whole operation down? So I think it's just kind of the the unknown that's really what's the holdup here, right? Oh yeah, one thousand percent. And again, like you said, we're not going to know anything until what he, what Adam Silver says May first, and we probably won't even know much even by May first. So all I do know is from what Wojnarowski reported and from where other shams and what other experts and reporters have reported labor day is seems like the end date as far as the the final day where they won a crown champion like a champion must be crowned by labor day if not if they can't you know ske- schedule wise crown a champion by labor day the season's lost and i'm pretty much i think adam silver that's what he's got in mind i think that's what owners have in mind I think that's what players have in mind. Labor Day is the key date as far as trying to crown a champion. Yeah, because he did also say too that in an ideal world, there's some sort of regular season picked up prior to the postseason playing. But at the same time, he said you also reach a point where next season may be impacted. And to me, just listening to him, it didn't sound like he was willing to go let, let the season get there, let the postseason dra- drag this thing out to where next season would, you know, be impacted by this. So yeah. that Labor Day has been kind of the the key date that everybody's been focusing on. So we'll keep an eye on that for you guys. But enough about the shutdown. We all miss basketball. We know you guys do too. But a very juicy story broke this weekend. One to uh to make Miguel to lighten up his spirits a little bit, I guess, if you will. Uh the Chicago Bulls have opened up a search for a new top executive. They're said to be giving this new hire full autonomy over basketball operations. Um, there's so many different extensions of this that we want to attack. I guess just initial reactions, Miguel. I mean, it's about time. I, I've been waiting for this. Op- uh, Bulls fans, uh, you know, we followed the, these teams for ever since we were born. And it, we've been waiting, especially probably since the the Derrick Rose Bulls when they were a last contender. I think we can go all the way back to, I want to say it was the, the 2012 playoffs um, 
when uh, the Bulls had the Cavs down, or it wasn't the 2012, I want to say it was 2015, excuse me, 2015 when the Bulls had the Cavs down 2-1 and LeBron hit that three in the corner over Jimmy to tie it at 2-2, and then ever since then the Cavs just ran away with the series, and that was the last we ever saw of a quality Bulls team. You know, Tom Thibodeau bit the dust, Jimmy Butler bit the dust, uh, Derrick Rose, Joakim Noah, all those Bulls bit the dust, and from that point on, um, it was kind of, okay, what can Gar Foreman and John Paxson do to kind of rebuild this team to credibility? And they haven't done so at all. And they've had numerous opportunities um, to do it more than their fair share. And it's about time. I'm, I'm surprised that it's happening this fast because I, I thought it would, they would wait till the end of the year. But as you see Michael Reinsdorf, the COO, and pretty much the guy driving this bus, He's the one that's really orchestrating this and wants to get a jump start so he can get someone in here, evaluate his roster currently, and then also start to get a jump on next season. Yeah, so I mean this definitely, as you said, it took way longer than expected, but it happened, right? I mean the Bulls fans kind of had to live through the misery these last several years, but better late than never. I just love the Bulls. I love the timing of this, right? In a, in a point in time with everything going on around us, there's no sports on. I think revving up the excitement in the fan base is is going to send a great message to the city of Chicago. Um, there's many unknowns ahead, and I think that they're going to start a trend here. I think you're going to start to see other NBA teams look to reshuffle the deck and and change some of their executive positions and and f- maybe fire coaches to bring new executives in. So if something does happen and we come back and we play an abbreviated regular season. You know, some of these new executives or coaches, if you will, can get a chance to kind of evaluate some of the talent. Um, so this is a, a step in the right direction for sure. Um, now they have to make the right hire. Um, so I know that they initially targeted four guys. They targeted Bobby Webster of Toronto, uh, the general manager, Arturis Karnishevis. I know we're going to have some trouble probably <laughs> saying his name. I was hoping you would say it first, but it kind of it kind of happened that way. Yeah. Adam Simon of Miami and Chad Buchanan of Indiana. Uh, Webster, Simon, and Buchanan are said to kind of be out of the race, which leaves us now with Justin Zanuck and Arturis. Um, is there a preference you have here? Do you want to see them go in a certain direction? Do you want scouting experience, agent experience, yep. GM experience? What is your hope, I guess, as a Bulls fan? Uh, well, first off, off, off those three names, the Buchanan one was not a good look for the organization. I mean, Buchanan pretty much just outright refused to interview. I mean, he was happy. That was him personally turning it down. Now, I know Bulls fans are very disappointed when Webster and Simon um, declined, but it wasn't – people got to realize it wasn't Webster and Simon personally that were saying, I don't want the job. It was the Toronto Raptors and the Miami Heat as an organization – blocking the bulls from interviewing them which i'm okay with you know that's gonna happen you're gonna it shows me that the bulls are in the right direction these are guys that are quality nba you know minds that have built successful rosters you look at adam simon who's built championship teams with the help of obviously the head of pat riley you look at bobby webster who's been a protege of masai ujiri for for a while and he's so young. That was the guy when I remember when the report first came out as those were the four candidates. Bobby Webster was a guy that I, I wanted immediately. You know, he was young. He was 32 years years old when he became the GM of the Raptors uh, under Masai Ujiri. 
he's 36 now. He's been involved with, you know, the drafts of Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, OJ Anunobi. He helped acquire Kawhi Leonard in that in I mean, that he trade. fleeced the Spurs, right? Yeah, he actually, absolutely fleeced the Spurs. He got Kawhi Leonard and Danny Green for Jakob Pertl, DeMar DeRozan, and a first-round pick. Exactly. And then he he was in charge of the development. I mean, that was his kind of baby, the development of the Raptors G League team. And everyone, as you've seen, Adam, throughout the entire uh, NBA, the Raptors G League is kind of what other organizations are trying to model their G League Absolutely. teams after because of what they were able to do. They were able to produce – you know, Pascal Siakam was able to go there, develop, and become the star that he is. Fred Van Fleet has been able to go, develop, and become, you know, a, a huge contributing piece to a championship ball club. And then they obviously were able to trade for Marcus All. I mean, that just – and by the Raptors blocking him, that shows you that what the Raptors thought of Bobby Webster and they what they see of him because they know if Masai Ujiri were to uh, eventually bite the dust for um, – a more greener pastures that Bobby they'd be in good hands with Bobby Webster. So that says a lot to me, but it also says a lot to me for the bulls organization that they're heading in the right direction. So it sucks that those guys are not going to be involved at all. Adam Simon was another good one. Adam, I know you, that was your first choice initially when the report came out. Yeah. I mean, I think too, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. These guys saying no is nothing to, for bulls fans to be discouraged about. I mean, they're shooting, they're reaching for the moon, they're landing on the stars, right? They set the, they, they start at the top of the totem pole. They're not starting with some no-name guys. And many of these guys have been coveted by other ball clubs over the past four or five years. Uh, I really like Simon. I just like what Miami's been able to do ever since their franchise started, I think, in the late 80s. Uh, but Simon's a guy who's got about 25 years of experience. He's never been a full-time GM, but he's basically worn every hat besides that. I mean, he's done player personnel, player development. He's been a G League GM. He's done scouting. He's worked in basketball operations. And I think when you're going to give full autonomy to one mind to run your whole organization, I mean, think about this. The Bulls have had two GMs since the Reinsdorf family bought the team. They've had Jerry Krause and they've had John Paxson or a guy that's kind of you know called the shots. Yep. Um, so this is the first time that they're branching out and going outside the family. Paxson played for the Bulls, so they've kind of always kept things close in the family. This is the first time, and it's a huge step for the Chicago Bulls franchise and Michael and Jerry Reinsdorf to go outside of the family and to bring in a new a new name. I just think you got to be very careful about who you get. Now, this isn't – they may hire somebody new and they may swing and miss. This doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to – you know, retool this thing and be a contender right away. But you got to be encouraged by some of these names. Um, Adam oh, yeah. Simon was a guy I liked. And, and is there anybody else out there that you liked? Well, now that the, the names that we discussed are kind of out, Bobby Webster, Adam Simon, Chad Buchanan, those are kind of the top three on my list that I loved. But obviously, they're gone. Um, yeah, let's not waste uh, our time talking about them. Yeah. Right? Let's save our breath, so, I guess, here. Look, looking at who else they're look, looking at, as far as we know, so the interviews that we know for a fact that have taken place, mm -hmm. according to Casey Johnson, a fantastic reporter for the Bulls, uh, Arturis Karnasovas, going to have to learn his name, you know, especially if he becomes the GM. Yeah. He's a guy that <laughs> that that is uh, uh, someone that I like. I don't know if I would name him my number one choice, but he's got a he's got a nice resume. He works along Tim Connolly, who's you know they've been over in Denver. 
developed probably one of the biggest and highly touted international scouting departments in the NBA. Uh, yeah. Very well in tune. And that's one of the things the Bulls have lacked in. The Bulls are very old school, so they've lacked in the analytics department, and they've lacked in the international scouting and the scouting. they got one of the smaller scouting departments and anal analytics departments in the NBA of any franchise. And I think bringing in a guy like Karnasovas, I'm just going to say Arturas. Arturas. <laughs> yeah, why don't we start by doing that? He's going to be yeah. Arturas from now on, guys. Yeah, okay, Ar You can look exactly. up how to say his last name. <laughs> so Arturas coming in, uh, I think – and even anyone else that comes in, a lot of these minds that they have on their list, short list, they're going to change the way things have been done with the Bulls. That means oh, no doubt. scouting, analytics, they're going to pump in money. They're going to pump in brains and minds into those departments to get this franchise restarted because you need – that's what you need in the NBA. You need guys. You need to be able to find those un polished gems players that you know the spurs have dis discovered the parkers the ginobili's the siakams the van fleets that's what you need because you're not always going to be the number one pick in the draft and you're not always going to land the coveted free agent the Kawhi leonard's the paul george's the lebron james so you need to find those guys that are eventually going to develop into stars and carson Ovas has that they drafted he was a big part when they drafted uh nikola uh Jokic with the 41st pick, and Jokic has ended up becoming one of the top 10 players in the league, you know, with Denver. They've been, they were the two seed last year. They've been fighting for the two and three seed, bouncing back and forth with the Clips in the West. They helped facilitate the deal with the Bulls he was involved with when the Nuggets landed Gary Harris and uh, Nurkic for Doug McDermott, another fleece. That I know one's that was one that hurt. So he you was want that guy in your corner, though. Exactly. You want the guy that made that trade in your corner. <laughs> he was involved with that with Tim Connolly. Obviously, Tim Connolly was the one calling the shots over with Denver. But from what I've seen and what I read, he Car Car Arturis has helped improved on that and was a big part of you know a sounding board for Tim Connolly uh, with the Nuggets. So he's a guy that I like. He's got a good resume. Yeah. He's been involved with a lot of it. My first pick. Um, or before I get to my first pick, the guy that uh, the Bulls, the other guy that they interviewed, that we know for a fact they interviewed, um, that took place yesterday was Justin Zanuck. He's the GM, uh, the general manager of the Utah Jazz. He was promoted to the general manager last season. He's a guy that, you know, when you talk about today's NBA, Adam, uh, when we look at agents turn to uh, executive VPs of organizations, Zanuck's one of those guys who was a player agent at first. Now he became a GM with the Utah Jazz. So he's a guy that has connections around the league. He worked with Mark Bartlestein. He joined in the Jazz in 2013 as an assistant GM once he gave up kind of the player agent role. And then mm -hmm. he was in line to be the Milwaukee Bucks GM and kind of head of their basketball operations for the 16-17 season before right. obviously they had an ownership change and then he was kind of either go with the new ownership. He wasn't promised the promotion that he was from the previous ownership. So he right. eventually went back to Utah and Utah accepted him back. So that shows that Utah coveted what he did for them during those years. And again, from what I read, I, you know, I listened to a couple of interviews. One was, you know, with Dan Bernstein of the score. He uh, talked, talked with the beat reporter from Utah and I was listening to it today and, you know, he had nothing but positive things to say about Zanuck. You know, he was a guy that said that he's very cerebral. 
He's a consensus builder. He's been in uh, that type of team building environment where it's not just one guy. He, there's like two, three heads that are calling the shots in Utah and they have built Utah into what it is today. You know, Quinn Snyder was a hire under his leadership who, yep. as we've seen, is probably one of the most underrated coaches in the NBA. He's fantastic. He's a guy Without that I, I love. And then um, he was a finalist for the Sixers GM job. So it shows you what Philadelphia thought of him. Eventually he, he stayed with Utah. So he's a guy that I like. He's very well connected. What did you think of Justin Zanuck? The two names, first off, before we dive into more names, Justin Zanuck and Arturas. What did you think of those two names as are the guys that are officially have been interviewed by the Bulls? Well, I like them both, truthfully. And I think that, as, as we touched on earlier, it's reassuring to the fan base uh, that both of these guys have been coveted for general manager positions within the last five years. I mean, Arturas was almost hired uh, as the general manager of the Brooklyn Nets in 2016. Instead, they, they ended up signing Marks. Uh, they almost, the Milwaukee Bucks almost signed Arturis in 2017 before going with Horst. Uh, Zanuck is a guy, he went to Northwestern. He used to work for Priority Sports, which are both in Chicago. So I think he has some local ties. Um, I think both of these guys, what they've been able to build in a tough Western conference, uh, Arturis with Denver, and Zanuck with Utah, both really without a true superstar player. I mean, Nikolai Jokic and Donovan Mitchell, that's no disrespect to them. But those those aren't – maybe Jokic is on the borderline of being a top 10 player. I'd probably put him outside of it. But they've done about as well of a job as you can for building – Utah's a small market, Denver a little bit of a bigger market. They've both done a great job in making these teams contenders. And they've built really solid teams. And I think that's kind of the way that you have to try to win – Without a superstar, you have to try to have a, a lot of depth. And I think both of these guys have accomplished that. Um, but I don't think that either one of these guys is the final piece to the puzzle. There's so many positions and executives that have to be hired and placed around the front office to make this whole thing work. The GM is going to be the brain. The, the president of basketball operations is going to be the brains behind this thing. But as you mentioned, you have to get a scouting department international scouting department. Yep. You got to hire an analytics team. They got to have a good video department. So this is just the first piece of the puzzle. And I think it's probably in their best interest to sign one of these guys that they're looking at to run the show, but maybe go out and grab a guy like Matt Lloyd from the Orlando Magic, you know, the assistant GM who used to work with the Bulls for about 13 years. Matt Lloyd, a lot of people don't know the name, casual fans. He was the scouting director for the Bulls when they drafted Joakim Noah, Derrick yeah, Rose, Taj Gibson, Jimmy Butler. Yeah. Ben and Gordon. So, yeah, and the Bulls' problem hasn't been – they actually drafted fairly well in the last 15 years, I would say. But it, it's been free agents that have been their biggest problem. And that's why just between Arturis and Zanuck, I think they're probably leaning more towards an agent because they've been striking out with, with big free agents in the past – this is Chicago. This is a huge basketball city. And when, you know, when the Bulls are good, the city's rocking. And I just think that Zanuck is a guy that can, you know, work with negotiations and get some big ticket names to finally come here and sign for the Bulls. I agree. I think Zanuck out of if you're just, you know, putting me a gun to my head between Zanuck and Arturis, I think Zanuck's a guy I would go for. You brought up a great point though. You're Zanuck and Arturis are two guys that have, you know, like you said, small markets. They've built, like you said, in a tough Western Conference uh, championship contenders. They've built full 
quality rosters with what they've had. They don't they know they're not going to get a big free agent. They know they're not, you know, they're not bad enough to be the number one pick in the drafts. So they have built championship contenders through the middle of the first rounds and finding, you know, diamonds in the rough and then getting pieces here and there in free agency, kind of that second, third tier free agents to come over to, to Utah and come over to Denver to compete and they've built quality rosters. They've found their coaches with, when you look at Malone in Denver and you look at uh, uh, Quinn Snyder in Utah. So they have gone through all of it. And the Bulls, obviously, like you said, have had trouble in tracking the LeBron James and the Paul Georges, Kawhi Leonard's. So to bring those guys that are used to that, well, okay, if we're not going to get their free agents, not to say that we don't want them, we they will still for sure, we want them to go after them. But if plan A falls through that, they are not panicked and it's not kind of bottoms out and they're done, you know, looking for, for guys, they can still put together a quality team that can compete for a title. So, so that's what yeah. I like. So, and you see, you brought up a good point in Matt Lloyd, you know, that was a guy that I saw, when you look at his title, Assistant GM of the Magic, and you're like, oh, Magic, like, what have they done? Yeah, they haven't really done that well the last seven, eight years, right? But he's, but then at the same time, you're like, well, he's been around for a while, so maybe he's doing, who knows? Yeah, exactly. And but he's he's got familiarity with the Bulls, which is probably going to help a lot, you know, because as we all know with the Ryan Source, loyalty is everything. And if you've worked with, for them before and you didn't add on bad terms, then they will definitely consider you to bring back to the franchise. And Lloyd obviously had had success. 13 season with the Bulls took over, I think I want to say in 1999, you know, being involved with the organization. And he was uh, named the director of college scouting his last five seasons with the Bulls. So that includes, like you said, Joe Kim Noah, Luol Deng, you know, those guys were he had a, a, a implement and a voice in drafting those guys. Adam, though, if you're talking and you want, you're saying, Miguel, who do you want? Trent Redden is a guy that has not been, he's been mentioned, but he hasn't been formally said to have interviewed with the Bulls. He's the guy I'd go after. Yeah, most definitely. Like LA Clips I mean, assistant GM. The Pelicans actually were trying to get him last year as their guy, uh, but obviously the Clippers nixed it, so that just showed you what they thought of him. He's a smart, right. young mind in the game. Yeah, and I think the thing Treden worked under David Griffin in Cleveland, so he was there for about ten years in Cleveland, and he had David Griffin. I'm a huge fan of his. You guys saw what he did with Cleveland; he brought the city a championship, and now you're seeing what he's doing with the Pelicans. And I, I'm just kind of thinking by association. I don't really know how this whole thing works, but you would think that when you rub shoulders with great minds every day, that iron's going to sharpen iron. And Redden, like you said, he was almost plucked away by the Pelicans, and I believe the Clippers gave him an extension. So he's in his, I think, his first year under his extension this year. But he worked in the scouting department with the Cleveland Cavaliers, and he was also the assistant GM when LeBron and Kyrie brought that championship to the city. I just think he's someone that has proven that he could build an, ex, you know, a great roster, a championship roster, um, which he's helped do it in uh, with Los Angeles, the Los Angeles Clippers. And like he did with the Cleveland Cavaliers, he's a young mind. Uh, he's got the scouting acumen as well. So I think that's someone you want to look at. I think one thing that I would probably encourage people not to do, don't go look up all these guys and look up every single trade they made, yep. uh, every single draft pick they've done, because you don't know at the end of the day. This, it's a collaboration in most of these departments, right? There's not 
yeah, there's one guy who has final say, but it's tough to put every single move on one particular guy, right? You look to me, what I'm looking at is the kind of like the context clues of you look at a guy like like a Bobby Webster. There's a reason why Toronto is nixing the Bulls from interviewing him. And that just shows you how highly that Toronto and Masai Ujiri, who's considered one of the best basketball operations presidents in the NBA, that shows you what he thinks of that guy. And you look at a guy like Trent Redden, who he was nixed by the Clippers and Jerry West, who took over at that time for the Clippers, he was nixed from interviewing with the Pelicans. That shows you what they think of him. So hopefully if the Bulls were to come calling, maybe the Clippers would reconsider and um, they would allow the Bulls to interview him because he's getting a promotion. And again, look, you talk about the minds. Trent Redden's worked with David Griffin, who's one of the better GMs and basketball minds that have put together championship rosters in the past. And you're seeing them doing it again with Pelicans. And now you see him working off the mind of uh, the great Jerry West, who has overseed so many championship teams. How can you not want that? You know? So I look at the context clues and, you know, what, you know, teams do and do not want where they're trying to keep guys away hidden and keep them in their organization. That tells me a lot. That tells me that they value them. They value their opinions. They value what they've contributed to the franchise. And it shows me that not only one, the fact that the Pelicans were willing to interview them, but that the Clips nixed it. And, you know, like I said, for a lot of those guys, Simon, Pat Riley, one of the greatest basketball minds in the world. And he's going to go down, obviously, as one of the best, you know, basketball operations. He nixed Adam Simon. That shows you what that guy thinks of him. So you're talking about right. all-time great basketball minds, and they're nixing yes. guys. And that that – that's what that's all I need to see. You know, of course. Yeah, it speaks it speaks yeah. volumes. And, right? and of course, you know, if you could go you could go through Pat Riley's, you know, list. You could go through Jerry West's list. Everyone is gonna make bad deals. Everyone's gonna make bad trades. Everyone's gonna make bad picks. It happens. You're not gonna nail every single pick, every single trade. It's how do you minimize that and how can you can still push through that to still build the championship quality team. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for guys that are young, innovative, that are going to bring something new and different to what the Bulls have never had. And I think the names they've identified are fantastic. You're not going to get Masai Ujiri. You're not going to pony up that money. You're not going to get Sam Presti. You're not going to get Andy Ellisberg, Bob Myers, Daryl Moore. You know, you're not going to get any of those guys. So that's the top, top of the totem pole. So you come down to the second tier and – if these guys are saying no and these these organizations want to retain these top guys, I'd say that that's a that's a win for your franchise in the way that you guys are going out and identifying and talent. And also, Adam, one um, thing I want so, to mention too, yeah. the Masai Ujiri's, the, the Bob Myers, the Daryl Morey's, they weren't what they were, you know, like what they are now. They were discovered. They were the Trent Reddins, the Matt Lloyds, the Justin Xanax. You know, they were guys exactly. that were kind of undiscovered, but working well within organizations or as an agent and, and kind of unfounded. That's what the Bulls need to find. They need to find their unfounded Masai Ujiri, a guy that can be that that's not doesn't have the name recognition yet, but he can become that for the Bulls. Right. And another another extension of this, too, I've been seeing a lot of rumors flying around about this. And I heard Casey Johnson address this today. Uh, he was saying that 
the push for this or part of the push for it, the push for this was played by John Paxson. Paxson basically coming to terms that he's not the right man for the job anymore. Um, and Paxson basically being willing to accept another role for whoever comes in or even a lesser role. Uh, it sounds like Casey Johnson was saying that in one way or another, they want to keep Paxson around because he knows the city so well and he understands the organization, the insides and outs. So what's being said is that this new hire is going to be given full autonomy over this situation. And there's some talk about Gar Foreman even staying in some sort of scouting role or another position. Do you believe with what you've seen over the years with those two guys at the helm, do you believe in your heart of hearts in the Bulls' word that this new hire is going to have full autonomy? I think it's in their best interest to clean those guys out entirely. What do you believe? Do you believe Look, their word? Look, I'm someone that – I want those guys as far away from this team as possible. <laughs> I don't want them anywhere near the Bulls anymore, anywhere near exactly. any sort of influence on the decisions that they're making. Right. And it seemed like the report today, Casey Johnson also said, though, that John Paxson's willing to play as big or as little of a role as the guy, whoever they hire, as they want. And maybe whoever comes in will ask kind of the small things, John, you know, how do things work here in the organization? You know, give them kind of a rundown. And then after that rundown, all right, bye, John. Don't need you anymore. Oh, yeah, exactly. Get, you're out. <laughs> go back, collect your whatever check the Bulls are going to give you because you know he's going to get a check. But stay out of my way. I'm right. going to do what I, I want. And that's what I, I, I hope is what it is for the Bulls. You know, I, I don't want those guys near the team. This needs to be a clear, clean cut from the Gar Pax era. We don't need them anymore. This is, they've proven they've had their time. They've had more than enough time to put championship teams out there and they haven't been able to do it. So I don't want to have a situation where, uh, you know, Michael Reinsdorf brings in a guy and he's supposedly given the autonomy to have all say in everything basketball operations. And then you have a John Paxson whispering in his ear, like, oh, I don't like what he's doing here. Uh, maybe you should go for this guy and sign this free agent. Or, you know, I don't want any of that. And, and having them around within the organization, that scares me. You know, that, that can happen. As you've seen, it's blown up NBA franchises in the past before when you have guys that are just, they're too afraid to cut someone because of the loyalty yeah. and I hope that's not the case. And it seems though, like John Paxson has gotten the word. He's gotten the pressure from the city, from the fans that we don't want him anywhere near the organization. And it seems that it has become John Paxson's own decision that he's willing to step away regardless of anything. He'll help out them to kind of get settled and then he'll be out. And I hope that's the case. And yeah. Gar Foreman had, doesn't have a leg yeah. to stand on. It seems it's like, send him to Japan, have him recruit out there. You know, I, I could care less about right. what, what he's doing. I want whoever's brought in to bring in their own guys, bring in their own brain trust, and kind of yeah. have their mark on this team. The Pax-Gar era is done, in my opinion. Yeah, and this kind of reminds me of that, those situations when you were younger in high school and you, you would date a girl and you would break up and then she would always ask the question or vice versa. The girl said, guy, well, do you still want to be friends? It's like, why can't they just cut ties? They finally came to their grips that they don't know what they're doing 
and they're still trying to give these guys a leash. Cut the leash, cut the fat, start fresh, and get those guys out of there. I don't think there's any benefit in having those guys around the building. I think you need to develop a new culture. You need some new chemistry in that building. If you really want to modernize this thing and, and install some new positions, a new analytics department, I think you need to be, be done yeah. with those guys, and they got to hit the road. And the other thing here is the Bulls are a very attractive franchise. They have some good young pieces. They've been a very successful franchise. We're talking about they're tied for the third most yep. championships in the history of the NBA, thanks to Michael Jordan. But they've been good and bad and good and bad multiple times before. There was obviously the the sixth championship era. Then there was the Kirk Heinrich, Luol Deng, Ben Gordon era. Then there was the Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah. They haven't been able to get over the hump in the new millennium. But I think this is an attractive job with a lot of good young pieces. And I I don't know if this – do you think this thing's going to be wrapped up pretty soon or do you think they're going to draw this and thing I out? I don't think they're going to draw it out. It seems like Michael Reinsdorf has done his research. He's got his list of candidates and he's ready to move on someone huh. You know, within maybe the next two weeks. I think we get a hire within the next two weeks. He's sent out a list. He sent out calls to franchises and teams letting them know, this is who I want to inter interview. Will you allow me to – if they nix it, move on. If they nix it, move on. So for me, I I would be happy with Zanuck or Redden. Redden has not been formally interviewed, but I hope the Bulls do their due diligence and try to at least send a call out, you know, to see maybe if the clips would budge. Um, you know, Michael Finley is another one that we didn't talk about. Chicago native, VP of Mavs Basketball Ops. I don't know if I would go with him because nah. he's still green in my opinion, but he's worked along great. Yeah, he doesn't have the experience. He still worked along great minds. You know, Donnie Nelson, who's one of the great yeah. GMs, Mark Cuban, obviously one of the best owners, and Rick Carlisle, one of the most respected coaches in the league. So he's worked – he's picked their brains, but I don't know if I'm willing to trust him with this type of build. So he's a guy that Chicago ties, but I don't know if I'd go with him. Zanuck and Redden are my probably now two top two list, in my opinion. And I would probably lean Redden, but I wouldn't be disappointed in Zanuck. I'd want to see, and we're obviously coming from different views here, but I think what would be best for them, as I mentioned before, is some sort of kind of duopoly where they hire two guys. They maybe hire um, maybe Arturis and Zanuck, or maybe they hire Arturis and, and you know a, a highly accomplished scout from another team, and, and they give that guy like a secondary title just to kind of like double down your chances. I know in some instances that might create some friction by not having just one voice, but I think that they need to load up on as many great minds as possible because I think they've been starved from I, some. I, so yeah. we'll keep an eye on that. No, no, I was going to say I, that's the part that I've seen, and I know this is it's just going to be one higher, but I, I'm curious to know what's going on in the interviews because when you're bringing these guys in, you want to let them know, like, yes, it's going to be one voice. I want to know if they would be okay if they're like, hey, would you mind taking on, if we ever hire you as executive VP of basketball ops, would you mind taking on a Matt Lloyd, you know, to be your kind of number two? Or is it an, a deal breaker for some of these guys where they're like, no, I want to bring in my own number two, a guy that I have in mind, and maybe they're right. bouncing off in interviews there. That's one of the kind of up in the air type of things that I'm, I'm curious to see what's going on in those interviews of 
you know, how it goes, how the bulls and how even the candidates are going about it. So I'm curious. I think we're going to get a hire within the next two weeks and I'm excited, you know, as a bulls fan, we haven't had much to look forward to, but this is one of those times where it's like, this is a new era. Well, yeah, who's to say if two heads are better than one in this situation? I guess we'll have to wait and see. But it does seem like they're going to make a hire probably within the next couple of weeks from everything that I've read. Um, Let's move on. I mean, we could probably go on that all day. So last week, the 2020 Hall of Fame class was announced, uh, highlighted by the late, great Kobe Bryant, Tim Duncan, and Kevin Garnett. Uh, Other notable names, Rudy Tomjanovich, Eddie Sutton, Tamika Catchings, just to name a few. But there's no question the big story here is the three-headed monster. Uh, Stat Muse, who I love to follow on Twitter, they're a great follow for those of you guys who don't follow them. Uh, they posted a graphic. These three have 11 combined championships, four combined MVP awards, five combined finals MVP awards, 48 all-star nods, 39 all-NBA nods, and 39 all-defensive NBA nods. This is one of the most prolific Hall of Fame classes that's ever happened. I was doing some research and looking at some other notable ones. 2009, uh, Michael Jordan, David Robinson, John Stockton. Um, 1980, Jerry West, Oscar Robertson, Jerry Lucas. 2016 had a good one with Shaq, Allen Iverson, Yao Ming. Uh, there's a couple other good ones. 2010 had Carl yeah. Malone, Scottie Pippen, and Dennis Johnson. But I don't really think that anybody comes close no. to this one. It, what what a, what a great thing to see these three guys going together. And I, I got to tell you, as a big Laker fan and a huge Kobe fan, I've been waiting for a long time to see Kobe make that Hall of Fame speech because I do really think – you always hear guys say, I haven't really had time to think about these accolades or these stats. I do think that is kind of the last stop in the end of the road when guys get overcome with emotion – and they realized the gravity and the impact they had on the game. And it's the ultimate celebration of a basketball career. And it's just unfortunate and it's heartbreaking that I'm not going to get to see Kobe have that moment because, as you remember, he was very articulate, well-spoken, and I'm sure he would have done a great job putting his career into a uh, Oh, yeah, 1,000%. And like you said, this is they're all champions, all legendary in the NBA history books. It's one of those Hall of Fame classes that we're definitely going to remember. And like you said, it's unfortunate that we're not going to ever hear Kobe give his Hall of Fame speech because I do think he was going to put a lot of time, a lot of thought. There were questions of like, who was Kobe going to choose to, you know, exactly. Like, was it going to be MJ, his big brother? Was it going to be Shaq, his partner in crime? Was it going to be Phil Jackson, the coach that has been with him for all five titles? That was like one of the fun kind of debates that people were having and one of the fun curiosities of of NBA fans. But obviously, we were never going to know that. Um, But yeah, it's going to suck that Kobe's not going to be a part of it. Uh, But again, this, like you said, this is the best Hall of Fame class that I think. um, I think the only one that comes close is maybe the Michael one, but... Even that is just like pales in comparison when you just look at the totality of this Hall of Fame class. It's just incredible. And um, it's kind of a black mark with the fact of everything that's happened this year with Kobe and um, the fact that we won't see all three of them going in together. Yeah, I think it is cool, though. I mean, he he bled and, and sweat 
and, and poured out tears versus Tim Duncan and Kevin Garnett. I mean, these guys had some epic battles, and it seemed like they always had to run through one another to get to that ultimate goal. I'm curious to see. I'm get, I'm just getting goosebumps thinking about that night. I'm curious to see how Duncan and Garnett kind of pay pay homage to him. And, and again, this isn't all going to be about Kobe. Obviously, he was great, and unfortunate circumstances happened this year. It's about those guys in their own right too, because oh, those 1, guys were great. And I kind of wanted to just talk to you. I kind of wanted to just talk to you about some of maybe your favorite memories that you had for each. Um, why don't we just kind of start? Let's start with Kobe. We'll both give our opinions, then we'll kind of go back and forth. We'll move down the ladder. Um, what was your favorite Kobe moment? All it's time? hard because he had so many for me. I mean, I I watched him so many times. You know, I watched his entire career. Uh, being just an NBA junkie, uh, I would say the one that probably my favorite memory from him was his last game. The fact that. He had nothing to play for. The Lakers were out of the playoffs. Kobe was a shell of himself, you know, of what his prime was. He had injuries he was playing with, but he wanted that last game at Staples and dropping 60 points on the Jazz. They were down nine. If you go back and watch that game, they were down nine with about three minutes to go in that game. And they had a, and they had a fighting chance to get into the playoffs yeah. on that last night. There's a lot of speculation and, and conspiracies about people throwing that game so Kobe can get yeah. his uh his points. The Jazz, there was an outside shot that if some scenario happened, they would have made the playoffs. Exactly. So those guys were so playing it's like hard. Kobe was he dropped 60 points and on the Jazz who were a playoff kind of borderline team. And that's that just kind of it reminded me of we're going to miss that. We're going to miss the guy that he's going to play through injuries. Now, I mean, there's so many I hate to sound like, and I'm 26 years old, so I'm nowhere near of the Charles Barkley ages. I'm not 50, but you know, we grew up in that time where guys would just play through the injuries. They they didn't care. Like if I got a, Kobe was like, I got a broken finger, tape it up. I'm gonna play through it. Oh, I got like a, a bum ankle. It's all right. Just fucking tape it up, and I'm gonna play through it. That's what he would do, and that you're gonna miss that because guys aren't built that way anymore. And that was like. I'm not in my prime. I know I don't, my past days are behind me, but I'm going to go in. I'm going to give this crowd a show because I love the bright lights. He, As we know with Kobe, he loved the, the bright lights. He loved being in L.A. He loved the pressure. He relished being, you know, exactly like, you know, you're a Laker fan. You've seen every single Kobe moment. And you know that's what he cherished. He loved being in those pressure moments. And I think that's why that memory sticks out in me because he wasn't in his prime. He was hurt. He was old. But dropping 60 points, you guys, you have guys in their prime that still haven't dropped 60 points in their NBA careers. And that just shows you that Kobe just, you know, dug down. That He was a guy that would dig deep and, uh, you know, perform extraordinary in uh just a regular game and that that was kind of one that stuck stuck to me what about you being a laker fan i mean um, this is this is probably more important for you because you you know you've lived through all of his biggest <laughs> moments yeah and this was this was so tough to think about um the 60 point game was probably my second favorite kobe moment um but I kind of went with a span, so to speak. So from 2004 to 2007, this was kind of the 
period of Kobe when he was transitioning from number eight Kobe to number 24, the game started to kind of slow down from him. You started to kind of see him go on these 50-point streaks, 60-point games, 80-point games. You know, he had a bum roster playing with Chris Mann and Lamar Odom, Luke Walton. Parker, I'm not, excuse me, Lamar Odom was far from a bum, but the other guys around there, uh, Kwame Brown, uh, Chucky Atkins, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And just to see him go out on those nights during that stretch from 04 to 07 and put the team on his back, there was a couple playoff series against the Phoenix Suns where I think I just fell in love with the player that he was. Um, they had the Suns on the ropes, three to one at one point. Uh, the Suns had Steve Nash, Sean Marion, Mari Stoudemire, some of those really talented teams. And Kobe almost single-handedly beat those teams. Those are some fun games to watch if you guys want to go back and, and enjoy some highlights. But I think it was that stretch when he was started to play without Shaq and kind of come into his own and discover his limits and how far he can push himself without the help of Shaq. And then to see him eventually go on and, and win those championships in 2009 and 2010 with Powell and kind of cement his legacy as winning one without Shaq and being the guy and winning two finals MVPs. I think it was that stretch that really made him the player who he was for sure. Um, let's tackle Tim Duncan. I'll, I'll go first on this one. I'll throw it back to you. Uh, so he played 19 seasons I was thinking about it. The 2003 season, I remember being a huge fan of Jason Kidd and the Nets yeah. at that point in the Eastern Conference. The Nets squared off against the Spurs in the 2003 NBA Finals. Duncan actually won MVP that season, and they beat the Nets. The Spurs beat the Nets 4-1, to one, but it was Duncan in that series that I remember just absolutely dominating. Uh, he averaged 24 points, 17 rebounds, 5 assists, and 5.5 and blocks. I just remember realizing and understanding his dominance in that series, uh, being guarded by guys like Kenya Martin and Todd McCulloch that just didn't have an, a chance whatsoever. But I think it was that season when I really remember Duncan for being for me, who he was. Uh, you know, I watched Duncan's whole career. For me, it was when he's 37 years old in the 2014 NBA Finals. They just came off a heartbreaking seven-game finals loss to the Heat when they probably should have won. And he led and he spearheaded as the leader of that Spurs team, the revenge season of the Spurs. You could tell that entire season, the Spurs were just on a mission to get back and to play LeBron and Wade and that, and, and that Heat team uh, that next year because they wanted another shot. They knew that they were the better team that previous year. They knew sh they should have won that title. And Duncan was not going to let up. And even at 37 years old, he was a guy that was quiet. But he was an assassin. He was a guy that he wasn't going to boast about, you know, what he wanted or let his personality show through, you know, the cameras or the promos or interviews. He was going to be to himself, but he was the most ruthless assassin. You hear guys like Kobe and KG and, and Jordan and Barkley, like they talk about how Duncan was just such a ruthless competitor and how it was so hard to like figure out what kind of player he was like how to get inside his mind because you couldn't he was just a stone cold wall and to uh, me my memory was that 2014 nba finals when he comes back and they just demolished the heat in one of the in five games and probably it, it is actually historically the most lopsided finals in history when you look at just points point margin losses um they just destroyed them and it was literally the same teams like it was the the spurs were yeah. a year older 
if anything, you could say the, the Heat had more of an advantage because you had LeBron, Wade, Bosch, guys still in their prime. And uh, yeah, they had guys like Shane Battier and Ray Allen who are a little bit on the, the later side of their careers, but so were Duncan, Ginobili, and Parker. Those guys were not in their primes at that moment. But that just shows you the kind of drive that they had, that they were just so pissed off from losing that year before and the way they lost that Duncan was going to stop at nothing. And he averaged, even at 37 years old, he averaged 15 points, 10 rebounds a game. And a lot of people forget in that 2013 finals where the Spurs lost and that obviously the the famous Ray Allen shot, Duncan was not even in the game. That's one of those moments where I'm like, Popovich has always been a fantastic coach. But that's one of those moments where I'm like, why? where's Tim Duncan? That still is one of those kind of like smaller what-if moments to me. If if Popovich has Duncan in the game, does Bosh even get that rebound? I don't think he does. You know, when LeBron misses the three, it caroms off, Bosh gets it and gets it to Allen because the Spurs' biggest guy they had in there was Boris Diaw, who was 6'5", 6'6", at best, you know, and unathletic. And Duncan was on the bench at that moment, you know, that that's one of those moments where I'm sure we'll never find out, but that I'm sure that's a moment that Duncan that eats away at him. You know, the fact that pop had him on the bench for that moment. Yeah. I mean, that was that Spurs team that beat the heat that year was one of the best teams I've ever seen with the role players too, with, as you mentioned, Dr. Patty Mills. Uh, I think Bellinelli. They had Bellinelli was another one. Patty Mills. Mills was huge in that series. And I just remember the ball movement, the ball just jumping and skipping around the perimeter and the heat just being completely exhausted. No. They couldn't even guard it. It, it. At a certain point, it almost felt like they were overpassing because they were passing the ball so much and the ball movement was extraordinary. But that was that was a very fun – I can't remember the last time I've seen a finals like that where a team just got completely dismantled. It was almost like the, like that was the just 2K game up. where Zach Levine gets blown up by 40 points from eight, and it was literally watching like a rookie 2K player against like a, a guy that like gets paid to play 2K. That's what it seemed like. All right, well, Kevin Garnett too, our last guy. So I would say his 2003-2004 MVP season, um, he averaged 24 points, 14 rebounds, five assists, two blocks – and a steal and a half per game. So that team was the team with um, Zerbiak, Sprewell, and Cassell. They went to the Western Conference Finals and lost to the Lakers 4-2. to two. But I'll never forget, that was, at that point in time, he was just going back and forth, trading jumpers with Kobe and banging on the block with Shaq. And it was after that series I was asking myself, like, this guy might be a waste of talent. He might never win a championship. And ultimately, as the way his career would play out, he would get to Boston eventually and, and win a championship with Paul Pierce and Ray Allen. But I think the thing above all else with Garnett was just the raw intensity um, in, in his heart. I mean, this was a guy kind of like Kobe that would just dig down inside and pull out whatever he possibly could, would play through exhaustion, would play hurt. Would, would be talking smack all game. He was loud. He was angry. He was nasty. I just don't think that there's a lot of players in today's game or players even then that grow on trees like, no. like Kevin Garnett. He was just a different cat. And and I just, I think the game misses his presence greatly. And it's so cool to kind of see him uh, get this award and, and go into the hall with, with two legends. Like oh Duncan yeah. 1000% for me. I mean, one thing I remember for KG is just, 
the biggest moment for me was the anything is possible moment. You know, the one where he beats, I, I'm sure this was a sad moment for you as a Laker fan, um, but uh, cool. beating, <laughs> beating the Lakers in six, just dominating. It's rare when you see, cause even LeBron and the heat couldn't do it. It's rare when you see a team get put together and in one season they figure out their chemistry and they win a title. It's hard to do, you know, when you put, right. you know, a guy like KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce together, and they were able to figure it out within that season, be the number one seed and still be one of the best, the best defensive team in NBA history. Like one of, if you go back and look at them as a defensive unit, they were probably up there a top five defensive unit in that 08 season. And he was the KG was the backbone of that team. And it's hard. Yeah, exactly. It's hard when you trade for a guy and he just becomes kind of the embodiment of that team. He embraces the fan base. He embraces the city. He embraces the culture. And that's what KG did. You know, it. when you think like, it's crazy to think that in his prime, he was with the Timberwolves. But when I think of KG, I think of him as a Celtic. I might have a couple more years on you because I'll never forget the first NBA jersey I ever bought was a reversible Kevin Garnett jersey. It was the blue on one side and it was the white on the other side. I don't know. In my mind, I probably still think of him as more of a Timberwolf than I do a Celtic. It is. Because, it's tough though. I mean, he was a guy that was Boston loved. He was – he – that first year they played the Lakers obviously in the finals and he he embraced the rivalry right away. He knew he was a basketball savant. He knew what that meant to Boston and 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 that city, you know, playing the Lakers in the finals. He knew how big of a moment. And even when they lost, you know, 2 years later, he knew that that was uh how big of it, it was to beat the Lakers just because he knows the NBA history. He knows how much it means to the city of Boston. And uh, that that's something I'll, I'll never forget that that anything is possible moment. The guy that has been chasing his first ring for so long. And, you know, it, it's it, it's one of the moments, one of those NBA moments in general that just stick in my mind. But, yeah, Adam, I can't wait to see, you know, the Hall of Fame ceremony. It's going to be a special night. And I'm curious to see what they're going to end up doing with Kobe. But uh, enough with the Hall of Fame, though, that, you know, it's a great Hall of Fame class. But, you know, the NFL came out yesterday, you know, with the all-decade team, kind of what they saw. And I know the NBA and NBA.com kind of came out with the all-decade team of their own, you know, with uh, NBA all-decade first team, second team, third team. But I thought it'd be fun just to kind of you and I to compare our list of, you know, if we had 12 players, two coaches of an all decade team, how would it pan out? How would we compare? And if we could kind of come to an agreement on like a collaborative all NBA decade team for the 2010s to 2019, how would it look? And and I know you and I, we agreed on eight players. We agreed way yeah, more I, than I, I thought we would. I, we're pretty agreeable, yeah. I feel like most part but yeah i think i think our list here is um is pretty solid with these initial no i would agree you know obviously lebron is the unanimous kind of of course kd without a doubt obviously Kawhi, same you know two titles two different teams staff another one you know the warriors had a huge impact on this decade just kind of running half of it in the finals so you look at staff Clay was another one we agreed on. Harden, another a guy that was just 
a stat sheet stuffer that you know put up the stats even if you want to say the the nba is a little inflated now he still did it he still put up those numbers chris paul who's arguably one of the best point guards in nba history it's kind of hard you know he had kind of two sides himself the clips uh chris paul to uh the the rockets chris paul where he was probably the closest he's ever been to being in a finals and he was an injury away from possibly being in his first finals. And then you have Russ who dealt with so many different versions of himself and the Thunder teams with, obviously he had a Durant Hardens and then obviously he had a deal with it solo winning MVPs and averaging triple doubles since Oscar Robinson, Oscar Robertson. So those were the guys that we agreed on. And that was kind of okay, obviously. But then you and I kind of differed on the next couple. Right. Yeah. LeBron, Durant, Kawhi, Steph, Harden, I would say most people would agree on. That next tier would probably be well, I, even Westbrook. I think Westbrook's probably had 10 from 2010 to 2020 or 2019. I put a little number next to my guys here. I'm not sure if I confused you by that, but I was trying to say and gather how many peak or prime years I thought these guys had. I thought LeBron and Westbrook from 2010 to 2019 both had 10 peak prime years. Kevin Durant at nine because of obviously the injury. Uh, I had Harden and Chris Paul at eight peak years. Um, And then Clay was one of those guys. He was the last guy that we agreed on to put in like our first sure top eight. So you and I decided we wanted to do our top 12 I placed a high premium as I as I was just speaking about on peak years and then also availability. I wanted my guys to be playing games. And so for that reason, some guys got left off my list because they just weren't available. Derek Rose and Kobe Bryant being two examples. Um, I know we differed on Kobe. You actually had yeah. Kobe, believe it or not. That's your list, not mine. And I didn't, which is kind of surprising for some of the listeners out there. Kobe only had, I think he made three or four first team all NBA from like 2011, yep. 2010 to like 2013, but he didn't do anything basically from 2016 to 2019. So because of that, I dropped him back. So to round out my nine, 10, 11, 12, I went Carmelo, Anthony Davis, Damian Lillard. And then I went Giannis. So why don't you why don't you tell the people your last me, four? I didn't hold as much of a premium because these guys can't fault where they were drafted and you know where their careers laid out. For me, I placed a premium premium on their impact on the game and what they accomplished. You know what they did through this decade, and that's why I ended my list after you know our eight that we agreed upon. That's why I had Kobe in there because he started off the decade with the championship, beating the Celtics. He he. kind of gave Los Angeles a talking back point to everyone that, you know, obviously everyone knew beat LA, beat LA. That was from Boston in 08. That's when Boston was started that. And they kind of, kind of put their noses up to LA, you know, as far as the basketball faithful because of that rivalry, the Celtics Lakers rivalry and Boston felt that they had one up the Lakers and Kobe because they are back and they, they beat them. In the finals, that was their first finals matchup since the Bird Magic era, and they 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 did it. And I think Kobe kind of took it upon himself. He took it personally, and I I felt a lot of that, you know, 
that that deserved to get in to the top 12 all decade. And plus he, he was all NBA first team for his four, the four of those years. Well, it, it, I know he was on the tail end of his career. I know he had injuries, but to me, it is so hard for me to leave off Kobe right. and an all decade team in that year. Yeah. And I had Dwayne Wade. Yeah. You're talking to me too. It was very hard to leave off Kobe, but I think just like the definition interpretation yeah. is, is a little bit different for both of us where I, I focus more on longevity but uh, like Kobe on my list, I, I just stretched mine out to like 20. I had Kobe as like 17, 18th best player of the decade for yeah, those 10 years. See, I, 10 I year look stretch. at more impact and what they did in their time during that time. And Wade, obviously, to me, he's another one. I don't know. I was very – that was probably my most surprising one that you left off. It wasn't Kobe. It was actually Dwayne Wade because he was still somewhat in his prime. And he okay. was a big instrumental part right. in – why LeBron? Why LeBron Massive. became how of uh, the player that he is today? He's a guy that sacrificed the most. You know, you talk about a guy that was in his prime, and he sacrificed his game to kind of hand the keys over to LeBron, and that takes a lot. Like that's hard to do. When you talk about you're talking about the guys that we have, the egos that are on this list, that shows that Wade was willing to win at all costs to me. And if you look at it. Wade almost beat the Mavs on his own. I mean, if he had just a little bit of help from LeBron, they would have beat the Mavs that that, that year because Wade was <laughs> just playing out of his mind. And you can argue, also argue that he's the reason why they beat the Thunder right. because LeBron, even in the Thunder series, was still, yeah, he put up some gaudy numbers, but he was still a guy that if you really watch those games, he was a, someone that he, he struggled with in the fourth. It was kind of like LeBron knew he had that monkey on his back. And in those tight moments – that Heat team went to Wade, and that's why I, you know, that that Heat team was the first part of that decade, and, and the way they ran things, and I think Wade was such an instrumental part of it. It's hard for me to leave off Wade when you think of the 2010s decade when you're like yeah. the Miami Heatles. That was LeBron, Wade, and Bosh. I would say I think Wade's prime, like his best years are probably from yeah. 2005 until I think the the arrival of LeBron and Bosch probably stunted his statistics and numbers in you know from 2010 to 2014 2015 but like I'm still taking into consideration his last four years like so the year with the Bulls and his last two years with the Heat where he didn't finish strong in those last four years so like in my opinion I had weighed on my list at not as far down as Kobe I had weighed at 14 so he's probably a guy that I could be talked into yeah. if we're going to agree in our top 12. I might kind of got me thinking a little bit now because I had Carmelo in there. I would consider putting Wade into our top 12 just to kind of make this a little bit more agreeable of a list. But what about a guy like Giannis, right? Who's he's, he's basically yeah. on his way to winning his second MVP, which would make it two, two MVPs in the decade. How many players have won two MVPs in this decade? Steph Curry. Yeah. And that's he's it, right? Guy, so Giannis would be the only other player to win. If I'm going by my criteria of where like, I don't, I'm not going to hold where you're drafted against you. Giannis is a guy that right. you look at the kind of later third part of this decade. He had a huge impact. He's changed uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, who has been notoriously kind of the middle of the road to the bottom of the barrel in the NBA leagues. It wasn't until Giannis came along and kind of changed that for them. So I would, I would right. end winning the MVP. Yeah, I mean, what – Giannis does and just who he is as a player 
we've never really seen that in the NBA. You know, people talk about LeBron and how like we've never seen him. Well, we've never seen like a guy like Giannis either. You know, a guy that's like came from Greece. No. He wasn't even in a college, uh, to highly touted prospect. He was discovered in like an old Greek gym and hadn't he was basically playing with like no shoes he's playing with like bare feet and to see him yep. become the player that he is today yeah. it's hard to he's a guy like i know you say wade's a guy you could be talked into Giannis is a guy that i could probably be talked into i had dwight howard it, for okay. me it's just more in the sense of he a lot dwight gets a lot of flack for and and you know for good reason you know Definitely. One of the most underappreciated players probably in the history of the game when it's you know, all said. Kind done. of what Dwight did and what he did for the Magic franchise. And and even Dwight admits that that was probably his worst mistake, leaving the Magic. He brought that team, and I know it wasn't in this decade. So, um, But just the numbers he put up, he put up like 25 and 14. He was the most dominant big in the NBA for probably from like 2010 to about 2013, 2014. So for that first third or first half of the decade, he was still the most dominant big in, in that point. But he's he's a guy that I couldn't yeah. be talking about. I think about once it. he got to I think once he got to LA. Okay, so once he got to LA, and I remember watching that season as closely as anybody. That was a season where Kobe ended up tearing his Achilles. Dwight's back was definitely shot, and his he he admitted to this that he was playing through a lot of pain that season coming off the back surgery. So 2013-14 was his first year in Houston, which I thought was his like last prime year, probably all-star caliber or prime year. So I thought like from 15 yeah. to probably now is when he kind of slid down. I thought his like his peak years in Orlando were probably 2000, maybe seven to 2011. Um, yeah, I, I definitely would have Dwight somewhere in my like top yeah, 20, he's but I'd guy probably that slide I, him I out as well. Like if you were saying, so, like, obviously this is a collaborative list of Flow House Hoops all decade. Right. Exactly. I, he's the guy that I'd be like, day, okay. Right? Now this next guy on my list, I don't care how we get well, it. So hell, let's put Wade yeah, in. Yeah, I think right? we put Wade in. We're going to put Wade in. I think we got to we'll put, put Wade in. in. And I think we got to put Giannis in from what, you know, we just talking about. But I think this next guy, I think you have to put him in. It, it's kind of, it's hard for me to leave him off the all-decade team because for the simple fact that he, to me, had probably the most impressive, granted he's only got one title, but he had the most impressive finals win, I think, of this list. When you look at it top to bottom, you're talking about yeah. Dirk. Dirk Nowitzki. 2011 finals it was literally him and a bunch of old vets that were kind of thrown by the wayside by multiple teams and he took it upon himself being that guy got through the kd and russ uh, thunder got through the spurs and he was able to get to the finals and then you look at what he was up against the first year of the heatles with chris bosh Dwayne wade lebron james that was a team when it was assembled that everyone was saying, there's no way there's going to be any team to beat this team. And Dirk did it. Dirk was the best player in that finals. That was his greatest finals performance ever. And, and Adam, you and I like to stack up kind of the weight of people's championships. I think, I think Dirk's championship oh, 
holds the most weight of anyone on this all decade list. And for me, I know he didn't have a long career in these decades and I know he wasn't in his prime for a majority of it, but it's hard for me to forget the fact that just that one year, Dirk was the best player and he beat the best team. He beat multiple great teams just with him. He didn't have a, a yeah. Russ and a Harden with him. He didn't have a Steph and a Clay and a Draymond with him. It was literally him, and his next best player was probably Jason Terry, who was in like his 12th or 13th season. Yeah, that Dallas team, they were another one of those examples of just a really, really good team. Obviously, the other team had three superstars, but it was kind of like that 2014, was it 2014 Spurs championship team, where it was just assembled so well and the chemistry was so good. And I definitely agree with you, though. I think weighted the weight of a championship needs to be discuss more i look at akeem olajuwon's two titles i think those there needs to be those need to be elevated a little bit more and i think what dirk did winning that title versus miami was super impressive i just don't know i mean we're yeah, sitting we at 11 guys out. here now adding coke and Giannis. the last one's going to be so tough to agree on because i just he only averaged over 20 points per game for three out of those 10 years in the decade i'm probably gonna i'm gonna take off carmelo I don't think I'm not going to consider him. Giannis is in, Wade's in. What about Kyrie Irving? Do you think that Kyrie Irving had a better decade than Dirk Nowitzki? I mean, he won the championship, yeah. multiple All Star game appearances. He's proven it on the biggest level. He has had, a, had lot a lot of injuries, injuries at the same he's time. He's a guy though. that I mean, with Kyrie, Griffin, when you look at him, and he's someone that it might just be a personal problem with me. I just have a sour taste in my mouth when I think of Kyrie. I respect what he's done. I respect his skill. I respect okay. the fact that he won. He helped win Cleveland that title. You know, he obviously hit the shot. So he, we know he's got the clutch gene in him. But I look at it before LeBron was there. What did he do? He didn't really do anything. He honestly had the worst team in the NBA, you know, when he was the guy. And then he goes to Boston. and he had a great team around him. So he was supposed to be the guy He was supposed to do what LeBron did with Cleveland. And he didn't, he, sh he like crumbled under the, the pressure. I don't know. I can't hold the 2016 title with, to me, it's more about the championship weight of that year. All right. I mean, Dirk was, Dirk was more monumental in his championship victory more so than Kyrie for sure. Can, can, a, can a happy medium be Anthony Davis? Do you think Anthony Davis has had a better decade than yeah, Dirk? Sure, statistically you, you can, but no? I, I mean, again, when he was the guy, he was like a Dirk in his situation. When he was the guy, he didn't really do much. You know, he barely got out of one first round series and he had, I mean, he had good pieces around him. It wasn't like he was just by himself. He had Drew Holiday's. Um, they were never going to win the title. But again, he was kind of more of the stat sheet stuffer. And one of the reasons why I'm not really taking that much into effect with the stats and the longevity, because this decade is pretty much predicated on the calls got softer. This was more... The rules opened up more for offensive-minded guys. It was more geared toward high-scoring teams. And it wasn't more of just the type of player you were. So it was easy to get 20 points in a game, typically, than it was back in, like, the 2000s and the 90s. And I know it's tough, but 
I think the only person that I would maybe consider to substitute Dirk with is Dame. Dame Lillard. He's a guy that okay. didn't really have a lot of help. He had LaMarcus Aldridge, who was really good and talented, but he was a he's a guy that relished those playoff moments. Two of the biggest moments and shots, obviously, of this decade were from Dame. You know, when you talk about the series clincher uh, against Houston, and then you talk about the series clincher against the Thunder. I'll take that. I'll take what I can get at this point because we pushed in we pushed in Kobe and Wade from your kind of like remaining four, and then we'll push in Dame and Giannis from mine. Obviously, the people are going to understand this is collaborative. Neither of us are going to get totally what we want. So if you're going to offer Dame, I'm just going to take I, I what you're lie. giving me. I'm, 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 I'm not going to argue not about that. List just because <laughs> he he's so, I, I don't know. I just find it so that 2011, like when I look at all the finals from this year, from this decade. Yeah. Well, believe me, I'm on the same page as you. I, I, I hold that finals in as high of regard as, as anybody, but it just comes down to, back to like the thing we were talking about. It's just like the longevity of the production in the decade. I mean, there were yeah, the last the four or five player. years of Dirk's player. career, maybe not four or five, maybe two. He was he was picking and choosing when he wanted to come in and play. So it's no disrespect or slight to Dirk and the player he was and and that championship that he won. Still had some great years beyond that too. I would just prefer to go with a guy like AD or Dame. I got, I'm past the Carmelo thing. I actually the more and more we talk about this, the more I'd slide him down my list. Obviously, a prolific scorer doesn't have the postseason success that some of these guys had. Um, but yeah, I'm cool with I'm cool with putting Dame in there if you're going to give him to me. And then if Dirk's probably going to be the guy you're sour about, I'd probably say AD. I, I just think less less the titles. I know that's a lot, but he's a, basically a walking Tim Duncan. And I, I think in this la- I the latter half of his career here with the Lakers, with the latter half of his career with the Lakers, think, we're going to see him win some more I championships. Think this I think. is his decade to kind of prove himself as a player. I think this 2020s and sure. beyond, yeah. this is kind of the test for him of right am i a championship guy because i don't want to put him in that tim duncan combo yet he's got talent but he's also a guy that i've looked at as soft a guy that is you know not mentally you know has the championship mentality to take a team on his back but again he can prove me wrong and that's why i'm waiting for because now he's got a, a championship roster around him i'm looking to see what he can do so but I, 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 it, it's For hard sure. to argue with this list. This is a list. This just shows you the type of style of this play. I mean, right. look at all these guys. I mean, you don't really, there's no bigs. I was thinking the same thing when I was making my list. And obviously, just to, to sit down and, and agree with somebody on a list, I'm happy we were able to do this. There's, there's obvi- we're, clearly, we would have done things a little bit differently at the back end, but to agree, hard agree on eight players. Um, I think says a lot about just kind of like our understanding, appreciation, and, and knowledge of the game. I yeah. think we should well, put we our list out on Twitter um, so everybody everybody can see it visually, and then I want everybody to kind no, of I shoot agree. theirs I back agree. at us. And you know, you and I with this quarantine and no NBA, we got some fun stuff planned in the next couple of weeks. You know, you and I, I think uh, we talked about it next week. We're going to try to do a a nineties versus two thousands top five team with a coach uh oh which by the way before we get into that we we kind of left the coaches out yeah we wanted to give two coaches on this all decade team just for the their impact 
I had, I think you and I both agreed on Steve Kerr. Obviously, I think he was he was someone that no was instrumental no in putting this team together and and the way they progressed. But uh, the others that you and I disagreed on, you had uh, Spo Eric Spolstra, and I had a Pop uh, Popovich. It's hard for me to leave Pop off an all decade list just for how well that twenty fourteen team turned out and even for me i thought pop has done a better overall job with the teams he's had throughout this decade i mean there was even when duncan retired parker was gone ginobili wasn't there people thought that the spurs were going to be a lottery team and popovich made them into what they were like they were up a seven seed western conference playoff team and that says something to me you know whereas spo he had a couple of years where after the post heatles where they were out of the playoffs, they were a, not a good team. Not to say he wasn't a good coach, but the East lesser conference to the West and pop was able to get his lesser roster into the West where Spo couldn't do that with the heat. That's where kind of, that's where I drew the divide with them too. Pop would probably be my third choice. So we're not too far off on this one, but I think just going to four straight finals, Spolster with the Heat, uh, as opposed to Popovich going to only two um, in the decade. And then I really did take into consideration, so after LeBron left, and then obviously Chris Bosh had the the condition that he had and ended up having to basically retire. Um, they had a 48-win season. Uh, they basically had a 500 season, another 45-win season. And then you've seen what they've done this year. I just think that he's a guy that's proven that he can still have a formidable team um, that can be, you know, an Eastern Conference at least contender um, without without all the horses. So again, that that one you could probably go either way between Pop and uh, between Pop and Spo, but I think we both got it right on Kerr for sure. So those three, <laughs> yeah, let's, let's just let's just it. take let's all three it. just because uh, we can. How about that? But uh, so, yeah, so for the other all decade team with the coaches, I think for this upcoming episode for next week, this is a fun one. I am actually going to head the 2000s team. You're going to head the 1990s team and we'll kind of match up the best five against each other and just kind of have people vote on it. And we divided it up this way because, you know, you're a Kobe guy. You're a LeBron guy. They're the 2000s. I'm a Jordan guy. He's the 90s. So it'll be fun to see kind of we have a more kind of unbiased view of looking at the decades type teams and putting them together. But uh, it'll be fun. We got a couple of good shows planned out for the next couple of weeks for everyone out there that listens. So we uh, we would love your input. Hit us up at FlowHouseHoop, hashtag FlowHouseHoops. Um, Adam, you and I awesome talking with each other again as usual and uh this quarantine has kind of made it fun i mean i i hate the quarantine want nba back but it's forced us to kind of dive into a lot of these nba questions and kind of nba lists and and teams and all decades all world all-time teams and it's fun yeah no doubt and you're so cool for uh <laughs> for making me take the the all 90s team i'm sure i'll have with it but then you also mentioned the kg anything is po anything is possible thing so uh 
throwing a lot of throwing a lot of shade this episode, but no, yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm missing NBA basketball like everybody else, but it's been cool just to kind of see all these highlights being thrown out on social media and all these pictures of this top five versus that top five, or you can only pick three, pick your three. So I think we need this kind oh, yeah, of creativity I mean, at all times. It's allowing us. I mean, we are. You look on Twitter, people are doing like the pick threes, and I I did one today where it was. I did a pick three, uh, uh, your favorite bulls. And, and I left out the obvious choices. You know, I left out the Jordans, the Kukoches, the Rodmans, the Pippins, the Jimmy Butlers, the Derek Roses. And I put kind of the, the grinders out of it. I don't know, Adam, if you want to do that with your Lakers teams, you know, kind of leave out the obvious of the Magics and the Koreans yeah. and the Kobe's and the Shaq's. Like I'm, I'm the only guy in Chicago. I have a an NBA finals <laughs> patch stitched Trevor Reza jersey that I bought from China. So that year that they traded, I think they got him from the Knicks or Orlando. I can't remember, but he basically, he instantly came over and just made a huge yeah. impact as like kind of one of those glue guys. And I just like start, I just started to fall in love with him. So after they won their first championship versus Orlando, I bought his jersey. And then like that next year, I think he, either left yeah he signed with houston and that's when the lakers brought in our test so i'm like i still have a trevor Ariza jersey <laughs> i know like, I, I, I put on my, my closet today and i've had a lot of like really fun responses of going back and forth with people of you know i think i had luol dang ben gordon nate robinson andres nocioni kirk heinrich joe Kimnoa, taj gibson carlos boozer and brad miller as like the nine people and i've had a really a lot of fun a variety of answers and i think we need more of that because people are doing the the typical list you know the of like everyone that we know that loves but i think we need more of the kind of you and i we're like the gritty grinders of just the the guys that we remembered that don't get right. the recognition and well, that's why we created name drop yeah. numbers, right? I mean, I know we're not doing an episode of it today because obviously we went a little longer than we'd hope, but it's fun to kind of recall and think back. There's Because if you just go back and basketball reference and just look at an individual season, if you look at like that 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th guy in the rosters, yeah. usually those are the guys you just completely forget about, probably even higher. You could probably go up to like the 7th man. But it's just so funny to kind of see the names that come in and out so fast and now these rosters get replenished. And now you got the G League too. It's I feel like it's becoming even harder and harder for for NBA players to sustain long careers. So you gotta really appreciate the guys of the past that stuck, oh, like, yeah. stuck no, around. This was so fun long. though. I it's, can't it's wait for next impressive. week. So I'm gonna start brainstorming my teams and put rosters together. So it's gonna be fun. I, I can't wait. Well, that one will be a uh, individual one. We won't have to collaborate, even though collaborating was fun. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, this is episode six. We're back with episode seven next week. So thank you guys again for checking in.